0: Section 37 of The Toilet of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 6 The Jacques Rissard. Forty years ago, St. Malo had an alley called La Ruelle Coutanche. This alley no longer exists, having been absorbed in improvements. It consisted of a double row of wooden houses leaning towards each other and leaving between them sufficient space for a narrow rivulet, which was called the street. People walked with their legs far apart on both sides of the water, knocking their heads or their elbows against the houses on the right and the left. These old barracks of the Norman Middle Ages have almost human profiles. From ruined houses to ghosts is not a long step. Their receding stories, their overhanging walls, their bowed penthouses, and their thickets of ironwork resemble lips, chins, noses, and eyebrows. The garret window is the eye of a one-eyed man. The wall is the cheek, wrinkled and covered with blotches. Their foreheads touch as though they were plotting some evil deed. All those words of ancient civilization slit-reason, slash-face, cutthroat, are closely connected with that architecture. One of the houses in Coutanchet Alley, the largest, the most famous, or the most notorious, was called the Jacques Ressard. The Jacques Ressard was the lodging-house for those who have no lodging. In all towns, and particularly in seaports, there is a residuum beneath the population people without avowed employment, to such a degree that even justice itself cannot succeed in forcing an avowal from them, rovers seeking adventures, hunters after expedients, chemists of the sharper species, always putting life back into the crucible, people in rags of every shape and all manners of wearing them, the withered fruits of dishonesty, bankrupt existences, consciences which have defaulted those who have failed in the housebreaking trade for great masters in breaking and entering move in a higher sphere workers in evil trades both male and female scamps of both sexes tattered and ragged elbows rascals who have ended in indigence scoundrels who have missed the wages of sin the vanquished in the social duel the hungry who have been devoured the knife-grinders of crime, blackguards in every sense of the word. Human intelligence is there, but bestial. It is the dung-heap of souls. It collects in a corner, over which passes, from time to time, that cleansing touch of the broom, which is called the police. In St. Malo, la Jacques Ressard was that corner. It is not the great criminals, bandits, assassins, thieves, the great products of ignorance and indigence which are found in such dens. If murder is represented there, it is by some brutal drunkard. Theft does not go beyond the pickpocket. It is rather the spittle of society than its vomit. The vagabond, yes. The highwayman, no. Nevertheless, one could not trust to it. This last stage of Bohemians may contain villainous extremes. Once, in casting the net over L'Episquier, which was to Paris what the Jacques Ressage was to St. Malo, the police caught lacenaire These dens admit everything. Falls have a leveling tendency. Sometimes tattered honesty descends here, virtue and probity have been known to have strange experiences one must neither esteem the louvre nor despise the galleys by appearances public respect as well as universal reprobation requires weeding one meets surprises an angel in the brothel a pearl in the dung heap such gloomy and dazzling discoveries are possible the jacques Ressard was a courtyard rather than a house, and a well rather than a courtyard. It had no story looking on the street. A lofty wall pierced by a low door formed its façade. On raising the latch and opening the door you found yourself in a courtyard. In the middle of this court one beheld a round hole surrounded by a stone curb on the level with the soil. It was a well. A pavement framed the curb. The court, which was square, was built up on three sides. On the street side, on the wall, but facing the door of the gateway, and to the right and the left, stood the house. If you entered there after nightfall, somewhat at your own risk and peril, you heard a confused sound of breathing, and if there was sufficient moonlight or starlight to give form to the obscure lineaments which you had before your eyes, this is what you beheld the courtyard the well around the court opposite the door a shed in the shape of a sort of a horseshoe with square corners a worm-eaten gallery entirely open with a raftered ceiling supported by stone pillars unequally spaced in the center the well around the well a litter of straw and like a circular chaplet upright soles the bottoms of boots trodden at the heels toes peeping through the holes in shoes, and many bare heels, the feet of sleeping men, women, and children. Beyond these feet, as the eye penetrated into the shadow of the shed, it distinguished bodies, forms, sleeping heads, inert, outstretched forms, rags of both sexes, promiscuousness in a dung heap, an indescribable and sinister layer of humanity. This sleeping-room was open to everyone. The charge was two sous a week. The feet touched the well. On stormy nights the rain fell on those feet. On winter nights it snowed on those bodies. Who were these people, the unknown? They came at night, and they went away in the morning. The social order is made up in part of these specters. Some glided in for a night and did not pay. The majority of them had eaten nothing during the day. Every kind of vice and abjectness, all sorts of infection and distress, the same sleep of exhaustion on the same bed of filth. The dreams of all these souls kept each other company. A gloomy meeting, wherein moved and blended in the same miasma, weariness, weakness, the heavy slumber of drunkenness the walking to and fro of a day without a morsel of bread and without a good thought, pallor with closed eyelids, remorse, covetousness, hair mingled with filth, faces bearing the look of death, perhaps kisses from mouths of darkness. This human putridity fermented in this vat. They had been cast into this shelter by fate, by a journey by the arrival on the preceding evening of a vessel by a release from prison by chance by the night destiny emptied here its basket every day he entered who wished he slept who could he spoke who dared for it was a place of whispers they hastened to crowd together they tried to forget themselves in sleep since one cannot find oblivion in darkness they snatched from death what they could. They closed their eyes in this confused agony, which began anew every evening. Whence came they? From society, since they were wretched, from the sea, since they were scum. Not everyone who wished could get straw. More than one naked form lay on the bare pavement. They lay down exhausted. They rose up, paralyzed. The well, lacking both curb or cover, always yawning open, was thirty feet deep. The rain fell into it. Filth oozed into it. All the drippings of the court filtered into it. The bucket for drawing water stood beside it. They who were thirsty drank from it. Whoever was disheartened drowned himself in it. From sleep on the dung-heap, Men glided into that final sleep. In 1819 a boy of fourteen years was drawn out of it. In order not to incur danger in that house one had to be of the right kind. The uninitiated were not viewed with a friendly eye there. Did these beings know each other? No, they scented each other out by instinct. The head of the house was a woman, young, tolerably pretty, who wore a cap with ribbons, was now and then washed with water from the well. She had a wooden leg. The court became empty at daybreak, its regular lodgers fled. In the courtyard there was a cock and some hens, which scratched in the dung-heap all day. The court was traversed by a horizontal beam on posts in the form of a gallows, which was not so very much out of place there. A silk gown, wet and muddy, which belonged to the woman with the wooden leg, would frequently be seen on the day after a rain, hanging out to dry on that beam. Above the shed, and like it encircling the court, there was a story, and above the story aloft. A rotten, wooden staircase piercing the ceiling of the shed led upstairs. A tottering staircase noisily ascended by the staggering woman. The transient lodgers, by the week or by the night, occupied the courtyard. The steady lodgers occupied the house. Windows without a single pane of glass, jams without a door, chimneys without a hearth. Such was the house. The passage from one room to another was made either through a hole of an oblong shape, which had been the doorway, or through a triangular aperture, which formed the intermediate space between the timbers of the partition. The plastering had fallen down and littered the floor. No one knew how the house held together. The wind shook it. They mounted as best they could on the slippery steps of the staircase. All was open. Winter entered the hovel as water is absorbed by a sponge. The abundance of spiders reassured one against its immediate downfall. No furniture, two or three straw pallets in the corners, yawning widely, showing more dust than straw within. Here and there a jug and an earthen pan, serving various purposes, a close and hideous odor. From the windows one looked out upon the courtyard. This view resembled the top of a scavenger's cart the things not to speak of the men which lay rotting rusting and mouldering there were indescribable the fragments fraternized together some fell from the walls some from the living creatures the rubbish was sown with rags and tatters besides its floating population quartered in the court la jacques Ressart had 3 lodgers a charcoal dealer a ragpicker and a maker of gold. The charcoal man and the rag-picker occupied two straw pallets on the first floor. The maker of gold, a chemist, lodged in the loft, which was called, no one knew why, an attic. No one knew in what corner the woman lodged. The maker of gold was something of a poet. He inhabited a chamber next the roof, under the tiles, which had a narrow dormer window and a larger stone fireplace, which made a gulf wherein the wind howled. As the window had no sash, he had nailed across it a bit of iron sheathing, which had come from the wreck of a vessel. This sheet-iron let in a little light and a great deal of air. The charcoal man paid with a sack of coals from time to time, the rag-picker paid with a measure of grain— for the chickens, a week. The maker of gold paid nothing. Meanwhile, he burned the house. He had torn away what little woodwork there was, and every now and then he pulled from the wall or the roof a lath wherewith to heat the crucible. On the partition above the ragpicker's pallet, there could be seen two columns of figures in chalk made by the ragpicker from week to week one column of threes and one of fives, according as the measure of grain had cost him three farthings or five centimes. The gold-pot of the chemist was an old broken bomb promoted by him to the dignity of a crucible in which he combined his ingredients. Transmutation of metals absorbed him. Sometimes he spoke to the tattered malians in the courtyard who laughed at him. He said, Those people are full of prejudices. He was resolved not to die until he had flung the philosopher's stone at the windows of science. His furnace ate up a great deal of wood. The railing of the staircase had disappeared into it. The whole house was on its way thither bit by bit. The landlady said to him, You will leave me nothing but the shell he pacified her by making verses to her. Such was the Jacques Ressard. A boy with a broom in his hand, who was perhaps a dwarf, twelve years of age, or sixty, with a goiter on his neck, was the servant. The regular frequenters entered by the door to the court. The public entered through the shop. What was this shop? The lofty wall facing the street and to the right of the entrance to the court was pierced by a square opening, serving at once as a door and a window, with shutter and sash, the only shutter in the whole house, which had hinges and a bolt. Behind this aperture, opening on the street, there was a little chamber, a compartment stolen from the sleeping-shed. Over the street door this inscription was written in charcoal. Curiosities sold here. The word was already in use at that time. On three boards fastened against the window, like shelves, several china jars without ears were visible, a Chinese parasol in gold beater's skin, with figures, cracked here and there, impossible to open and shut, shapeless fragments of iron or crockery, dilapidated hats and bonnets, three or four conch-shells, several packages of old bone and brass buttons, a snuff-box with a portrait of Marie Antoinette, and a tattered copy of Boisbertrand's Algebra. This was the shop. This assortment constituted the curiosities. The shop communicated by a rear door with the court in which the well was situated. It contained a table and a chair. The woman with the wooden leg was the shopkeeper. End of chapter 6 Jacques Ressard